What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is the screenwriting podcast about screenwriting and all sorts of writing. The behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Uh, man, uh, I'm recording this uh, right now, and it is just pounding rain. Los Angeles is getting throttled with water, which is a good thing. I know that uh, we've been in a drought off and on for many, many years, but we are no longer as the, the city is just getting crushed and there are cars floating by and it's like El Nino all over again. Uh, do you guys remember El Nino? I just remember seeing cars on Burbank Boulevard like getting swept out into Toys R Us. Uh, what a magical time it was. Um, today we have one of my favorite uh, writers, a very funny dude, Evan Waite. Uh, Evan actually was a writer on season one of Fairfax, and he's gone on to work on shows like Sunnyside and Family Guy, and he's got a book coming out called Life Wants You Dead, which you can find at book retailers everywhere. He's written for The Onion. He is one of the sharpest, wittiest dudes I know, uh, and I can't wait for you guys to hear this interview with him. So I'm going to get back to uh, tending fire and you know tarping my house and doing all the other things that I do when it rains. Uh, and you guys are going to dig into this episode with my buddy, screenwriter extraordinaire, Evan Waite. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. Enough about me, Evan. Tell me about you. I want what I what I want to start with first of all is when you were a kid or maybe a teen. I don't know. You tell me. Like, what was some of the first stuff that you saw, whether it was comedy or drama or, or whatever, a, a play where you were like, I want to be involved in whatever that mm. thing is. Well, I mean, The Simpsons came out right when I was in like sixth or seventh grade. So, I mean, it was, like, the perfect time for it. And, I mean, everybody that I, like, I loved it immediately. Everybody, all my friends loved it. I mean, it just, like, caught on, like, wildfire. Like, at school, like, people were kind oh, of. It was ridiculous. Like, it was, like, the next day after the first one aired. Everybody was like, everybody loved that, right? And it's just, like, a given that it was the best. And are we talking about, like, episode one, season one of oh, yeah. The Simpsons? Okay. I mean, I saw it, like, when it was on Tracy Ullman and all that. And I was like, oh, this is cool. But then I saw they did the, I think the Christmas special was the first one. Yeah, well, was that Santa's Little Helper, that one? or is Yeah. It... When they uh, <laughs> bought him from the track. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and immediately I was like, oh, this is this is just the best. And, you know, I wasn't thinking that I wanted to do anything like this. I just enjoyed it and I liked it a lot. And, um, you know, the comedy thing didn't come into play until, until – uh, after that were you like uh did you enjoy english class at school like were you a good writer would you would you have said that like you know when when the class is assigned an essay i would just be like yeah sure like easy <laughs> you know for me i felt like i knew i could write because i loved being the recorder in a group project where i was like oh you need mm. someone to type like i got you right um so did you know were you aware that like you may had any natural abilities i don't think so <laughs> i don't know that i was really standing out or anything it was because I wasn't really caring about it that much, I guess. Yeah. Ultimately, it's just like when the comedy thing came in, then it fused my interests with like my skills, and then all of a sudden, I really cared about it a lot. Um, but um, no, I mean, I did okay in school. I, I would say like I did well, and then each year, like subsequently, like a little worse <laughs> as I as I stopped caring about it yep. as much. I was just screwing around with my friends and stuff. So that's sort of where I was at with it. 
And where does the comedy fuse for you? Like, where is like the spark of like, I'm going to be a writer? Does that happen in college? Does that happen after? Um, I mean, in college, I did like a radio show with a couple of friends and just like sort of creative dipping your toe into different places. And, um, and it was fun and I really enjoyed it. But then I was like, I was never like, this is a serious thing. It was like, obviously, once you get to college and you finish, then that part of your life is over and now you get your real job. So I was always on that track, and then only later I started to think, you know, maybe I should actually go for this thing. Let's talk about that for a second. What was your first real job after college? Like, what were you on the track to do had you not fallen into comedy? Uh, I mean, I studied to be a teacher. I, was, um, I have, like, a master's in elementary education. I was, like, doing that track. And so right after I graduated from um, college, I got a job as an ESL teacher. When, where, where were you teaching for ESL? ESL teaching, rather. Uh, this was in New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. That's also where I went to school in New Jersey. And um, I, yeah, I was working in an elementary school with like, it was like kindergarten, first and second grade, just kids who came and they couldn't speak English and you're just trying to help them integrate into the school. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a good job. I enjoyed it. I didn't, you know, stop doing it because I didn't like it. It was just like, eventually you get the itch to do the thing you really want to do. And so were you coming home at nights and just like, I'm in the wrong, like, why did I choose this? Like, were you <laughs> despondent or like? Not really. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of been a weird swerve because I was actually pretty happy. I mean, the job was good and working with kids is fun. And it was like an interesting and like pretty stimulating job. So I wasn't bored or anything. Um, it was just later, I just, something else was calling me more. It wasn't like, I got to get away from this. Yeah. You know? And what was the straw that broke the camel's back for you? You're like, all right, I'm I'm gonna give this a <laughs> shot. Well, I mean, it got a little weird after I I studied for. I mean, I worked for uh, two years in New Jersey, and then I took a job overseas. I was working in China for a couple of years. Oh, that's right. Tell me yeah. about that for a minute. Yeah, so that was a thing where um, I had a bunch of. Well, my mom is an ESL teacher as well. And she knew some other people that were in this sort of overseas teaching circuit where you can kind of, um, it's this company called International School Services. And you can work at a certain school for a couple of years and then they have school in a different place, in a different country, in a different continent. You can just kind of move around. And she had a couple of friends who had done that and found it kind of interesting. So I was like, all right, you know, I'm still young. Uh, you know, I've been out of college like two years. And I'm like, oh, I'll give this a shot. And uh, so I went to like a job fair and it's, it's a pretty crazy situation because like you're there for a weekend and you're interviewing with like schools in like China and Japan and Africa, all, all like all over the place. I know Africa's not a country, but um, <laughs> I, know you, I know you know. <laughs> I was like, I can't think of a third country. Okay. Um, but uh, so you're just interviewing with all these places and, you know, they will offer you a job and you have to tell them whether you're going to take it like in the next like 24 hours. Wow. And where was this job fair again? Tell me this. This was in Boston. Okay. Job fairs in Boston. All right. Yeah. So I go in there, you know, I start on a Friday and like by like Sunday you have to, you'll get an offer and you have to decide whether you're going to take it or not. It's like a two year contract. Wow. So I actually went into it thinking like, I probably shouldn't go to a place like China because it's just too hard and I don't understand the language and I never will and and then they like offered me a job, and I was like, well, you know, maybe. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, it's a high pressure situation. So you just go to China, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, they offered me a job. Like, was, was there anything contract. keeping you? Was there anything keeping you here, like uh, a lady friend, or you just were like, I'm up, I'm going? No, I had nothing going on at all. Awesome. Okay, <laughs> so you fly to China. What year is this? 
This was, uh, let me think, this was 2006 or seven, I think. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we're in China, you're teaching, then what mm -hmm. happens? Well, um, I was there for two years in this school that was in a place called Dalian, which is like Northeast China. It's like almost uh, up near Korea. And then I was there for two years, and then I took a different job in Shenzhen, which is like Southeast China. Mm -hmm. Which is like, if you're at Hong Kong and then you go directly to the mainland, it's like right on the coast there. And um, so I was there for an additional three school years. At that point, I was just like, I'm either this is going to be the rest of my life or, you know, or it's not. And uh, at that point, I just started thinking about the comedy thing again. The itch had come back. I was like, I was reading The Onion all the time. And it was like my favorite thing since like high school. It was just always the best. And I was like, you know what, maybe I'll, I'm going to take a shot at The Onion. Like, it was very targeted. It wasn't like, I want to do comedy. It was like, I want to be in The Onion and, you know, be a staffer there. And was The Onion hiring at all? Or you just, like, I guess my question is, when you decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot my shot for The Onion, what is step one to shooting your shot? Well, I mean, I didn't know anybody, and I don't know if they're hiring. It was a pretty insular place at that point, actually. Like, nobody really knew how you got into it. So, you know, I was thinking, all right, I'm sitting here in China. Like, how am I going to pull this off? So I really did sort of break down, like, a plan of how I wanted to do it. It was pretty methodical, actually. So what I did was I was like, all right, so you don't want to go talk to the editor-in-chief and send him an email and be like, hey, I'd like to be in The Onion, because he probably gets about 10 of those a day. It's very yeah. annoying. And if you burn that bridge, like, it's over. You're screwed. Yeah. So um, what I decided to do was... I was like, all right, I'm going to use Facebook to kind of like talk to people that were like in the orbit of the onion. Like I figured like somebody who used to be there and then had left, like they could be a little more candid about how it all works. And so it was sort of like, you have like a concentric circles thing, like get to the outer rings of the people who were sort of around it. And then maybe you get a little closer as you go. Um, so I was just writing a bunch of headlines and sort of talking to people who were like alumni of the onion and they were kind of giving me the lay of the land. And a lot of them were like, the way to go is to try to go to New York and then um, become like an intern. If you can get an internship, you'll be in the building. And, you know, from there, they might let you contribute a little bit and you could grow over time. Um, so I was, that was sort of the thing I was aiming for. I was like, all right, I'm going to see if I can get this internship going. And so I was writing all these headlines and, you know, I had to get a VPN at the time. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I know what a VPN is. Basically, <laughs> it basically hides your IP address or like what you're going to see. Yeah. Like if you want to watch Netflix, US and Mexico, you need a VPN. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, essentially at the time in China, you couldn't get on Facebook Correct. without it. Correct. So this was like my only link to doing that. And there was like a whole network of. Uh, expats who like that you're doing this for an internship like I know, right? the least you know maniacal or evil uh plot yeah there's nothing really that <laughs> nefarious going on yeah. but you know this was the only link i had because i didn't really know anybody there so um so meanwhile i'm like writing tons of headlines and are you putting them on twitter or are you just like keeping them to yourself like where are you putting said headlines i was putting them on facebook okay yeah like on your feed or yes whatever. okay yeah, I was like, this is, I, I figured, you, you know, talk to all these people and then just like have those there so that they'll be like, well, who's this guy in China who wants to beat the onion? And they might go to the page and like look at some of the stuff. So it was always like sort of like seated there. Mm. Um, and then uh, I got in touch with this one guy who actually was an editor at the time there. 
And because he was like a friend of somebody that I had become friends with. And he one day he just asked for a um, picture of everybody in his feed to show him a picture of them giving a thumbs up. I don't know why he wanted that. It seemed really weird. But I was like, all right, man, this is maybe an opportunity to like get on this guy's radar. So I like made this elaborate like Photoshop. It looked like just like a thousand thumbs on, a, on, a, on, a, um, on this picture of me. And weirdly, like it was like two days later, I got a message from him and he's like, hey, you know, I, that, I noticed this picture and then I like looked at some of your headlines and I like some of this. And, you know, would you ever be interested in doing a tryout when you come back to the States? what <laughs> you're like it worked it actually worked i couldn't <laughs> believe it it was like mastermind evan wait <laughs> i mean i was just like because i was like i don't know anybody and i'm as far away as you can possibly be from the thing you're trying to do so it's like you, it's not just organically going to line up yeah and uh so this was around um well basically at the job where i was working because it's international school you have to tell them in december whether you're going to be coming back the next school year so there's like a seven month gap there where you know you won't be coming back, but you still are working. Yeah, and that was the that was the period where I was just like, like just cranking headlines, and that was you know I got a message from him around um, April of that year, so I was like, all right, you know I got a couple more months, so I cranked it up to like overdrive, like I was writing, but then I was like, much more knowing that there's a possibility of this tryout. Meanwhile, I don't know if it's actually going to happen. Like that could fall through. Maybe he's just talking. Yeah, who knows. Um, but he was true to his word. I mean, I got to New York and, uh, you know, I moved to New York and, uh, he brought me into the office and he was talking to me and I was like, you know, just like the wall of uh, whiteboards with all the headlines. You're like in, you're like, in the, Valhalla yeah, for comedy. Like, yeah. You're, you're like, it was wild. I was like, I'd been back in the States for maybe like three weeks at this point. And, um, so he kind of broke it down for me how it was going to be. And it was like a, basically a four week tryout. And, um, so you're pitching headlines for four weeks, and like if you get any headlines in, then you will um, get to stay. And then he did a couple of like practice rounds first, where he would work with me, and uh, I think it was him and uh, Will Tracy, who now is like a succession writer, and he was like the Onion guy at the time, and he was the guy like reviewing my my headlines to give me notes and stuff. And I was like, wow. I mean, I knew he was talented, and then you see him just like blow up like crazy. And, um. So yeah, I did the tryout for four weeks, and you know I got some headlines in. When you say some, how many? I got five. Okay, so that's a shit. That's a shit ton. You crushed that. It did well. I mean, it was like eight months of just intense writing and, and whittling it down. Did you know you were doing well? Like, did you feel like okay, like I I got one in? Like, were you? Yeah, I mean, because I I think if you get like one in or maybe two or whatever, like you're like in the mix. And you had five. Yeah, it did well. I was very happy. I, I couldn't believe it. Way to go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was just because I had been insanely obsessively writing for like nine months at this point. I mean, I had like a thousand pages of headlines by the time I started this tryout. It was like way overboard. Um, so Evan's going to take a pause to sip his soda. I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to do a, a water break. <clears throat> Brought to you by Whole Foods. Um, all right, so now you're at the, you start at The Onion officially? Well, I was a contributor, so right, okay. essentially I was just pitching um, headlines each week. There's different tiers. Got of, it. But are you? Do you? Do they give you like a, a desk or anything? Like, are you? Oh no, I wasn't even in the office okay. at that point. Okay. Like you know, they have a whole satellite of contributors that are all over the country, and they're just like basically feeding. You know, they're feeding the comedy coal into the, into the furnace. <laughs> you know, 
So, and then they will take them and some of them will become one-liners and some will be short um, news and briefs and some will be the longer articles. And then the people that are the staffers, they're the ones who kind of like um, do the writing of those. Got it. So they're just taking the, the, the jokes. Okay. So you're contributing at The Onion. Um, have you told the people back in China, like, yo, you're never going to see me again? <laughs> I mean, I told some people what I was, my plan was, and others I was just like, this sounds stupid when I say it out loud. I mean, <laughs> it sounded kind of embarrassing. They looked like kind of sad for me. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> um, and so where did you go from the contributing at The Onion? Is like, did you start writing scripts? Like, how did you get into narrative long-form comedy? Well, I was, uh, let's see, at first I was just doing Onion stuff, and I was sort of grinding that out, and um, my goal was to just meet more people, because I, The Onion, were, they were the only comedy people I knew, and um, one thing they did that was very helpful with that was they would have like a party every Friday at the office. It was called Whiskey Friday, and so it was just you know, all the Onion people, after a hard week, they just want to, like, blow some steam and have some drinks. And um, different comedy people from around the city would also come to this. Like, there'd be some guy from The Daily Show, and then there's some guy from Mad Magazine here. And it was sort of like, it was probably, like, two-thirds Onion people and then one-third, like, outside folks. Got it. And so through that, I would just be like, I, sh- I should definitely be going to this every week because, like, this is exactly what I'm trying to do is meet people. And, you know, they're like serving up all these amazing people right on a platter. So um, so I met this guy who did the Onion, um, the Onion's uh, editorial cartoon. And this is the same guy who does some stuff with Mad Magazine. So, awesome. Uh, yeah. you, and you, I assume you grew up reading Mad Magazine. Actually didn't. Really? <laughs> no. Okay. I, wasn't, I, like, I was excited to nerd out with you because like, that was like the first thing to me. Where I was like, oh my God, like Mad Magazine yeah. comedy. I have no idea how I missed it because I'm sure if I had seen it, I would have really liked it. But okay. It just wasn't on my radar. Okay. I'm sorry for interrupting. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, so this guy, uh, I was just talking to him and I was like, hey, you know, do they accept pitches over there or anything? And he's like, yeah, if you have an idea, like I can like link you up. Great. So, you know, I, he hooked me up with those guys and I started pitching some stuff. And, you know, they took a couple things and all of a sudden I'm like doing Mad Magazine stuff. I'm like, this is great. Um, and with Mad Magazine, at a certain point, they asked me because they wanted to like freshen up their contributor base. I think they'd had a lot of people that they'd been using the same people for a long time. Yeah. And so they're like, hey, do you know any people? I'm like, I could find people who want to do this. That's not a problem, you know? And so they had a meeting where I brought about five people with me who wanted to um, contribute. And I, these were like all different people from different spheres of, of comedy. Because I always figured this is a good opportunity to like bring people into your orbit too. Yeah. It's like if I want to work on The Daily Show one day and then invite some guy from The Daily Show and be like, hey, do you want to do this thing? And sort of like build that web, I yeah. guess. And uh, so I had this meeting and there was unbeknownst to me there was a, a second guy who they had also asked to do the same thing and um this guy named frank santo padre who's like he's like a veteran comedy writer in new york and so he had like a couple of his people and so i remember we were in this room and everybody was just hanging out and it was like such an interesting dynamic because it was like this guy works over here this guy is doing that this guy's doing this i was like well this is cool this feels interesting and so after that uh, meeting i had coffee with that guy frank and we were just talking, and we were like, oh, that seemed kind of cool. Like, maybe we could, like, do that again, you know? Maybe we could, like, engineer that. 
because I know some people he doesn't know because I'm just starting out, and he knows a lot of people that I don't know because he's more veteran out there. And so we started doing um, like these comedy writer dinners every month. So it'd be like every month we had like, it would be like me and Frank and then like four other people that were doing something interesting. Awesome. And so we did that probably about, I don't know, five or six times. And then at a certain point we were like, all right, maybe we could like supersize this and turn this into like a party, like a full-fledged like bash, you know, with like, instead of like four or five people, we could have like 50 people. Yeah. And um, so we ended up doing that and it went really well. And we were just, it was very concentrated. We are like, don't bring your spouse. We don't want to, anybody you in this You don't want to talk to your yeah. fucking wife. We're dude. not interested. <laughs> it's just like, we just want every single person in the room to be like having something interesting going on. It would just be yeah. like the cross pollination of it seemed kind of exciting to us. And, um, but it was very stressful because the first time we did it, I'm like, is anybody going to show up to this thing? Or am I going to be sitting here with this place I rented feeling like a jackass? Yeah. Like I just dropped $700 at BevMo. <laughs> Please let the people show up. Yeah, you're just like hoping, and you felt like, all right, there was enough of a base of people that we were like, oh, these are close friends. We know they'll show up. Yeah. And then it's just like these other people, are they going to feel this like this is some sort of trap or something? Or is it like, you know, because it was always the spirit was just like, just come hang out. And, you know, organically interesting things will happen. It's not like you get them there and it's like, hey, what are you going to do for me? Like that's yeah. a really off-putting energy. People don't like that. No. So, uh, yeah, we were just doing that. We did that, I think, maybe four or five times. And uh, all of a sudden, I'm, like, really keyed into what's going on in the city. Like, I know when places are hiring, and I got all these new interesting people that are going on. And it just, like, worked very well in that, in that sense. Fuck, Evan. That's the, such important lessons there is just, like, the networking aspect of it is so incredibly important. Yeah, I mean, I learned that pretty quick. I think that's probably has done me the – I don't know. It's been the most helpful thing in my career. and. I think part of that was when I was an ESL teacher, that's kind of how you had to be as an ESL teacher. You were always going between different groups and, you know, this one teacher's doing something interesting and you take that over to the other one and be like, hey, you know, this worked over here. It could work over there. It was always the idea of like this sort of web was an interesting thing or, or almost like a wheel in a sense, like where there's, because I had a friend in um, China who was like, he was like the social guy. He just knew everybody and Everything like sort of went through him, you know. Well, see, it sounds like he's in the triads. You're like, <laughs> he's like, he's the social guy, but everything has to run through well, him. Not that everything has to. It's he's just a like, boss. it's like when you wanted to do something, you'd be like, he probably knows somebody who yeah. would not do it. It's just like naturally, he would be the guy you gravitate towards. Absolutely, I'm just joshing you. <laughs> so he was kind of like the hub of it, and I was like, when I was thinking about when I came to New York, I was like, that seems like a powerful position to be in, like where you know you just sort of know what's going on, and and and. And, and some kind of opportunity comes to you and you're busy, so you kick it over to somebody else. And it's just like, it'll all come back to you. And it's yeah. just like thinking of it in a way of like building like a tribe instead of just thinking like somebody gets hired and that's like screwing me over or something. That's Absolutely. Like a very bad way to look at things. Yeah, it's interesting. My mom is very surprised that my, our generation is a lot more celebratory of our friends' wins as opposed to being jealous. You know, like... Mm. I have always felt, and I think what you're saying is you have felt is like a rising tide lifts all ships. And when you build a community, you know, it's sort of like one for all and all for one. And if I get a job and I can't take it, I call my friend Peter. And if Peter can't do it, maybe we'll ask right. Terry, whatever. I think that's such a smart way to do it. Um, I mean, that it, evolved, though, over time. I mean, I, I was hit with some jealousy early on. I mean, it happens. It does. It does. But I still, I still think that was a very uh, industrious and smart way of thinking when you were just trying to start out and build a community of writers. 
Yeah, I think it's just, you know, that's, those are the people that end up getting you jobs and, you know, you end up getting them jobs and most of it goes through, you know, somebody who you know and then they get a new job and then they help you out and everything. It's just like, I think getting into the habit of just like helping people out is, it's just positive. It's good karma, first of all, because I don't want to be a, in a situation where a friend gets something good happening and I'm like mad about it. Yeah. That just feels pretty toxic. I know. That's, I don't know. It just feels like a drag. And, um, but I, I did have a friend. I remember when I first started, uh, he got, he was like, just like me. We, neither one of us really had all that much going on. And then he got hired on the Colbert report, you know? Wow. So he went from like unemployed to like on a show of winning an Emmy like six months later. Jesus. And I was just like, holy shit. Like it did throw me off. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't know how to take it. I, I was happy for him, but I was also like bummed out in a way too. Cause I was like, man, he's doing something I'm not doing like it. You feel like it's a reflection on you, yeah. even though it really has nothing to do with you. Yep. But it seems like it's some commentary on how you're lacking, you know? Yeah. And so that that hit me early on. I remember talking to my friend uh, Peter Gross, who's he's a writer um, back in New York. And he was just like, look, man, this is something you're going to have to manage. Like, he gave me the, lay, the lowdown on it. He's like, this is going to happen all the time. People, something good, something bad. Like, that's just the way this business works. And, like, you need to get used to it and just learn how to be happy for your friend and I really tried to take that to heart, you know. Yeah, for sure. Because it'll just fester, and it'll just even when things are going well for you, you still won't even be able to enjoy it. Totally, so. totally. So when did you? I don't even. And you didn't make the move to LA. Like, what? Wh- what gave you the jump to scripted entertainment? Like, where did you end up mm. in that? That was a uh, that was kind of crazy. I mean, I my first TV job was on the President's Show. Which yeah, was on Comedy Central back in two thousand seventeen. And um, that was super fun. Like, that was just the best. I, it, it's such a fun job. I mean, it was like, it lined up perfectly with like the kind of stuff I wanted to do. And because everybody in the room was way more accomplished than I was. Like, everybody had been on multiple shows. They were all performers and everything. And what was the interview process like that? Or how did, like, did you have an agent at this point? I had a manager. Can I ask, how did you end up working with a manager? I think a lot of people are curious of like, how do you get your first representative? Uh, this was a manager who I got hooked up with uh, because he had represented some other Onion people mm-hmm. at the time. Like, I think his sort of MO was to sort of pluck Onion people and sort of... I think Onion people tend to do pretty well on shows because the Onion is so rigorous about, yeah. like, the churn of material is really high. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I was working with that guy, and... Did he bring you that opportunity, or you you found out about the President show? Or I'm just sort of hmm. curious of, like, how you got... how you lassoed that first interview trying to remember i think that he brought that opportunity okay great i think it was i I hadn't heard of it at the time i didn't even know who anthony atamanik was who's you know he was the star of the show and this was at a time where i had moved to la actually briefly i was here for one really weird stint where i was here for about six weeks (laughs) Because I moved out here because I felt like I was sort of hitting the wall in, in New York in terms of like breaking through to TV. I'd done a bunch of comedy packets to try to get some late night shows. And I was getting close a couple of times, but I felt like, eh, maybe I should go to L.A. And so I moved to L.A. And then um, I got this opportunity to, to write a packet for the president show about four weeks into my move. And then I got hired off of that. And so we had to move right back like right after it was very disruptive so it was it was kind of messy but you know 
it was a great job, so I was happy to get it any time. But and had you written your sample that was I forget exactly what it was called, but it was in the influencer world. It's what we read before we hired you at Fairfax. Do you <laughs> know what viral. I'm talking about? Yes, viral. When did right. you write that? That was a little later, actually. I wasn't even thinking about um, narrative at the time. Okay, so the, you didn't have like a sample yet working on the President Show that was like a thirty-minute comedy. You know? No, no, I didn't. Uh, I, I, I just thought it was too hard. I didn't understand it, and some of I still don't really understand. I mean, I'm doing it, and I don't understand it. It's still confusing. Um, and also, writing a pilot is so much harder than working on a show that already exists. That's true. You know, and um, so yeah, I was just working on the President Show, and. I felt very much like I needed to prove myself there because I didn't, you know, I was just so much greener than everybody else. And so what I decided to do was, you know, and this was sort of organically happened. I wasn't like a methodical plan when I walked in, but I was just like, make yourself useful and valuable in some way. Like, don't just wait for them to give you an assignment and then you just do it. Like, that's good. But um, so what I noticed was that we had like a Twitter feed that really was pretty inactive, you know, mostly just posts like, hey, the show's coming on tonight. And it seemed kind of lame to me. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, I went to my boss and I was like, maybe I could like write some jokes for this or something. We could like turn this into something a little more interesting. And they were like, all right, whatever. <laughs> They're like, here's the login. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I just started cranking out jokes and like just like in character for, you know, our main character on the show and it just i don't know it just got more interesting and more fun and it was like just find a little pocket that you can do something with and um so i think they just sensed that i was very hungry you know i think i had a lot of like pent up like energy that it just exploded <laughs> because i hadn't been doing any of this and it was just like this dream opportunity and i was so into like what they were doing and i just got like i, I just i get really like into stuff like that sometimes <laughs> Well, it seems to be working out for you. You're doing the right thing by making your, you know, it's like they always say when you're a PA, like anticipate your boss's needs or know what they need before being asked for it. And it feels like you took that into every job you've had, whether it was at the onion or at the president show where it's like, no, I'm going to make myself useful and do something that I might not be asked of, but like someone should be doing and I'm going to make myself indispensable. Yeah. I think it just, even just making the offer. And even if they didn't actually want me to do that, they would be like, well, this is a guy who's like paying attention. Yeah. He wants to like, he cares about what's happening here. Absolutely. I think those little things can really change their perception of you. Absolutely. Especially coming in, coming into a new thing or I didn't have much of a reputation cause I hadn't been on any other shows or anything. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was just fun. And, you know, I just really like doing this stuff. Like I get into it because it's fun and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a really cool job and, and I like doing it. And I didn't know that I would be able to. I was just some teacher sitting around hoping that like this would work out, and it actually did. So I'm like, I don't feel jaded about any of this. Like I'm, I'm really digging it. Hell yeah! Uh, and this, I think, is when I maybe meet you in the timeline around 2018. Like mm -hmm. I, and uh, so I guess at that point you did have agents. You, you did. I don't remember where, but like, will you? Do you mind telling me how you procured your agents, just for the folks at home who may be curious? Yeah. Well, I um. I mean, after the president's show, I jumped to um, Kimmy Schmidt. I That's right. That. I forgot about Kimmy that Schmidt. That was my first narrative thing. And that was... And I mean, you're working for like Robert Carlock, right? At that yeah. point, like, who? wow. I had an interview with him. I, it was, it was intimidating. intimidating. I was just going to say that <laughs> so sounds intimidating. Yeah. I mean, this was a thing where the way I pieced together how it happened later was that... Um, Apparently, the people on Kimmy Schmidt were just fans of the president's show. So, and they knew 
they had a executive producer in common. So I think they just started asking around like, what's going on over there? We dig what you're doing. And I guess my name got passed over to those guys. Cause one day I just got an email and they were like, Hey, you know, we'd love to talk to you. And I was like, okay, <laughs> great. Uh, and I was like, I don't, I'm obviously not going to be hired for this, but uh, of course I'll take that meeting. Um, so yeah, I was, I had a meeting with, uh, Robert Carlock and then, um, Meredith Scardino who, um, she does girls five ever. Mm-hmm. She says now she's one, she's in their camp. And this guy named Sam means, who, uh, he does that show Mulligan on, um, on Netflix. Know. Yeah. And you know, he's one, these are just like the core, you know, Robert and Tina people. The starting, the starting four or five yeah. rather. Yeah. So they're like, you know, if you want to get in here, you have to like, they have to yeah. sort of sign off on yep. it, I think. And, you know, I didn't go into it with any real anticipation that much was going to happen because I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And, and at this point I had never written a pilot before. I didn't, you know, I was just like writing jokes and stuff. And I think because they have such a strong staff, they figured like it's such a joke heavy show. They figure like that maybe this guy can learn how to do the rest of this. Um, but after that show, I, I was like, that's never going to happen again. Like, so after the <laughs> meeting, you're like, this was a great wait to the hour. Thank you for the water bottle. I'll talk <laughs> yeah. to you never. Yeah, but it was, you know, it was very intimidating, but it actually happened. But then after that show had wrapped, then I knew, like, I will never get another job like that if I don't have, like, a strong pilot. Like, I just, I got lucky once, but you can't count on that happening ever again. Um, so that's the period where I, like, I wrote that pilot after, after Kimmy Schmidt's season. Hell yeah. And that pilot, by the way, Evan, viral, is so great. Yeah. Immediately, I read that and was like, "We got to meet this guy." Like, not only not only does he like speak Fairfax in the world of influencer dumb, but you could write. And I think a we had like a very um, we had we were all very green in terms of like running a show. None of us had mm-hmm. ever done it before, and of course, we had Peter. But we must have read 150 scripts, and out of all of those scripts, like yours, very quickly rose to the top. And oh. I mean, we hired you, so like you know that we'd like you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, but I, I just feel like it's such a thankless job. I wanted to tell you, Evan, like. Oh, Way to that. fucking go, dude. And, <laughs> it was fun. Al- and also, you know what else is something that I want to thank you for? We assigned you the first non-Teddy Matt and Aaron episode of, of all of Fairfax. You wrote Dale Hates His Dad. Yes. <laughs> and that one really was so important because it was the first one that was like, okay, see, we can do this a hundred times. And your outline was funny. Your script was so funny. Like Teddy Aaron and I still say happy dadder day to each <laughs> other all the time. Yeah. So as you sit here, I just want to say, dude, thank you because you really helped keep the train on the tracks and, and, and push the ball down the field. I appreciate that, man. It was, it was so fun. I mean, I had such a great time on the show. It was, it was a blast. Yeah. It was just like, I remember reading the, um, your guys pilot. And I remember I just read the first two pages and I emailed my, my, reps right away i was like yeah i want to be involved in this this is this is great you could tell right away thank you so it's it felt like i was like and then thinking about viral and i was like this feels like a like this would work you know absolutely absolutely and uh so we do fairfax together you go to work on sunny side everybody knows you know nbc comedy all network comedy is difficult and challenging and then from there i believe is that right after that you get ended up on family guy no, there was uh, after Sunnyside. Oh, no, 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 you're right. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll let you talk. <laughs> I'm trying to, I mean, it's a little hazy on my side, too. I'm trying to remember how, where this went. Uh, after Sunnyside, I think I was on Inside Job. Yeah, the Netflix art, uh, animated, animated show. Thing. Yeah, so I was there for a bit, and um, yeah, that was really fun, too. I mean, it's just a great pilot, and it's just like a fun world to play in. 
Um, and then I jumped over to Three Busy Debras. I forgot about that. You were on yeah. Three Busy Debras. Yeah. So that was because I had worked with Mitra Johari, who, um, you know, me and her shared an office at the President's Show. That was both of our first writing jobs. Yeah. And then, you know, later she just like sells her own show and, you know, late, you know comes around and asks if I want to, you know, throw my hat in the ring for it. I was like, this is amazing. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the first season I'd been a huge fan of it and I just think Meacher's amazing. Yeah. And, and um, so it was like a no-brainer, you know. Yeah. By the way, Evan, you never told me how you got your agents, which to me. Oh, right. Agents. Um, the suits. Like, did they put, did they chase you or like, did, like, how did, like, did you go meet at all of them? I feel like maybe they reached out when I was on the president's show or something. It's kind of hazy. Um, I, I, they came into my orbit somehow. Okay. I wasn't like chasing anybody. Okay. Um, I, I didn't even know how I would do that. If no, I, and I think, I think it's important to note that like, yeah, do the work in the, you know, because everyone thinks it's so important to have agents and what I tell people is like, no, it's more important to have bulletproof work, you know, and then the yeah. agents and everybody else will come to you once they see what you can do on the page. Yeah, I mean, the first jobs are generally the hardest ones to get because you probably don't have representation and you're just trying to, like, figure out how to get there. But, like, you really kind of have to do it yourself at the beginning. That's yeah. What I've, that's what I found. And then along the way, people will come and help you and help you grow. But I don't think you're going to – I mean, maybe some people do, but getting an agent when you have nothing going on, then all of a sudden they catapult you to the top or whatever. Maybe that happens. Yeah, I, I've never heard of that ever. <laughs> yeah. Ever. I wouldn't, that wouldn't be my plan. <laughs> no, <but> I, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Yeah. Um, so you're on the three Debras. Mm -hmm. And when do you get the call for the interview about Family Guy? Or how does that come to your life? Well, what happened was there was a uh, woman named Paulina Diaz who I worked with on Sunnyside. And then, um, yeah, we were just good friends and we were just hanging out all the time. And, and then later she got hired on to Family Guy. Awesome. Like she got in the mix there. I'm not. 100% sure. I think she met somebody from the show at a party, I think it was. And then she got hired, and they really liked her. And, and I think uh, she put my name in the mix later down the line when they were hiring. And, uh, yeah, I just, like, they reached out. This was during the pandemic. And, uh, yeah, they just reached out and were like, hey, you know, could you send some samples? And, and like, so did, what did you send over there? Did you send viral again? I sent viral, and then I sent uh, a thing of Onion Headlines and then um, a couple, like, New Yorker pieces. Oh, cool. So I figured, you know, just, like, bite-sized, things that are small and easy to, like, to enjoy very quickly. And then when do you get the news, like, hey, they would like to meet you? Well, it all happened really fast. And by the way, when I say they, like, who are you meeting? Is it David Goodman, WGA Kingpin, and <laughs> Seth MacFarlane, and Alex Sulkin? Like, who, like how, how does that work? Uh, this was Alex Sulkin and Rich Appel. They were okay. The two showrunners at the time, and still okay. are. Um. Yeah, it happened real fast. Like they emailed me one day and said, "Hey, you know, we got your name from from Paulina, and you know, we'd love to see some stuff." And I sent some stuff that night, and then the next, I think it was like a day or two later, they were like, "Hey, you know, we'd love to talk to you." And then we had a meeting the day after, and then like the day after, they had offered me the job. It was, Holy shit! It all shit. happened in like span of like a week. Were you? Oh, fucking! <laughs> yeah, like take 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 me through it. Oh, it was just like the best thing ever. I, I couldn't believe it. It was, I, it was shocking. I mean, the whole thing happened so fast. It was in a tizzy, you know. Do you remember where you were when you got the call that, like, or the email or whatever it was? It was like you're hired. <laughs> yeah, I was in my really shitty apartment, 
it was actually a guest house that it was a garage that they had converted into a living space. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Questionably so. And um, yeah, it was just like, I, I was in pandemic, so it was like pretty dumpy situation. I wasn't feeling that great, you know. So like, you're sitting at the computer or like on your phone, like. Yeah, it was, I I was in the room for Deborah's actually still. Oh, wow. Oh, and it was on Zoom, obviously, because yeah. we're all. It was on Zoom. I think we took a break or something and I checked my email and all of a sudden, like I just, my entire life just had changed in the span of like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god! And I'm, I have to come back to the room and try to like not bring it up yet because I'm like, this requires a conversation. I shouldn't just like blurt it out. Do they tell you like, hey, you start Monday, or like, do they give you any sort of timeline for when you start? Uh, there was a date. It wasn't like the next day, but it sort of there was a little bit of an overlap with Deborah's. So I thought I might have to leave a little bit early to um, you know to do it, but ultimately the timing worked out okay. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that far away. Yeah. It was like, I think about two weeks from then. Who's the first person you tell I'm working on Family Guy now? Hmm. I think I called my dad. Yeah. That's I think awesome. Everything you do is to just please your parents. Dude, 100%. End, you know? 100%. <laughs> Look, I did it. And you're just like, you know, whenever something good happens, you want to just like get the validation from your parents, I guess. Were they sense. like, don't leave China? You know? <laughs> like, so, so to now be like, hey, dad, guess what? I work on the, you know, the most beloved animated <laughs> series other than The Simpsons in the history of the media. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, you know, my parents, like, when I did leave China, actually, they were, they were confused. But <laughs> they were like, yeah, if that's what you want to do, they were definitely like. Semi-supportive. Yeah, I mean, I would say fully supportive. They that's just didn't cool. understand it. Okay. But they were like, if that's what you want to do, then go for it. Um, so what's it like day-to-day -day working on Family Guy? You know, like, obviously without uh, violating any NDA you may have signed. Right. <laughs> like, what, what is it like? Um, mm -hmm. Is it just a very – like, do you guys talk story? Do you guys just, like, uh, someone will say something funny and then that, like, leads to an episode? Or is it just sort of any way the wind blows? Well, it is a very silly place. I mean, it's just like it must <laughs> be a, a bunch of clowns. I mean, it really is. <laughs> um, but usually, when you come in, there's just a couple of different assignment possibilities. Like one of which is like we just need story ideas. So that's called like a blue sky day. Yep. So we're just like, what if Peter does this? What if Peter does that? You know, like and just trying to come up with a big list of ideas, and then our, you know our showrunners will come in at the end of the day and see if there's anything worth you know fleshing out. So that's one um, possible day. Another one is we have table read days on Tuesday. So, you know, we do 20 episodes a season. So we have a lot of table reads, and those are really fun because you're just watching the uh, performers, like, <laughs> perform for are you. Are you, like, in tears by the end of It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. And it's just, like, to see them just doing it in the moment is, is pretty cool. Evan, how are the snacks and crafty during a table read day? Like, does it, I always remember like, you know, uh, on a, on a network show like Family Guy, I'm like, I'm imagining like, do they bring in bagels and like, um, croissant, like, uh, what's this, what's a table read spread <laughs> over there? Like, well, you'd be very disappointed to find that our table reads are on zoom. Still? Because, yes. I think that, I mean, from what I understand, the table reads were, were more like probably effective when they're in person in yeah. terms of seeing what the script is, but. I think once people could be where they wanted to be, I think it's very hard to wrangle them back. Like, are you guys? So wait, does that mean are you on a Zoom room still? Uh, we do a hybrid. Interesting. So we do like it's about every third week, it's a Zoom week, hmm. and two weeks in, one week out. That's cool. It's great. I love it actually. That seems like a nice way to do it. Yeah, because to do it all on Zoom is not 
the best way to do it. It's not as fun, and I don't think the material is as good either. No. And so, um, but this allows you to kind of have some flexibility if you need to go somewhere for a couple of days. Like, there's ways to like work that out. And what's it like watching uh, an episode of Family Guy with your name as the written by credit? Uh, it was great. I mean, it was really exciting. I mean, did you have a bunch of friends over to celebrate? Like, how do you how do you celebrate? I don't really do that to be honest. I, maybe I should. I, I've no, gone to I'm other, just curious. I've gone to other friends' events who have done that, and it seems like really fun, but. It just feels like it's just like everybody's celebrating me today. <laughs> Very self-masturbatory. A little bit, yeah. But um, but it but it is really cool though. I mean, it took, you know, after I wrote the first one, and it didn't come out for like over a year after that, because it's a pretty long um process to do it. Um, but it's it's very exciting. I have was, to say. was it intimidating? Like you when you were first up, like, oh, it's Evan's script this week or this episode. Were you intimidated? Like, were you feeling like, oh fuck, like, or you know, <laughs> At least on Fairfax, pretty much it's like what's on the board goes on the outline and, and into the script. Is it very mm-hmm. much like that methodical at Family Guy as well, where it's like by the time you go off to outline, you pretty much know from A to Z where the episode goes and you can pepper it in with jokes and stuff, but like the story is pretty much all there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the story is laid out, but there's still a lot of sort of flexibility of that. You're not going to change huge story points, but... It's, I would say on Fairfax, it was probably a little more detailed. Yeah. I think where you get with Family Guys, you just get a ton of jokes. Like we have what's called a gag room, which is like three days of just, you know, six hilarious people like just pitching jokes on every scene. And then so you have this big file of like 80 pages of jokes that you take with you when you're writing. And so that's where it gets into like parsing what you want to use. And oh, that's awesome. Blend it into what you're doing and becomes like a weird stew of jokes. That's awesome. And like classic bits that come back, like Peter fighting chicken. Like, is that like at your <laughs> liberty? Just like, if you, if it made sense in your script, like, do you just like put it, you know, are you just. Yeah. I mean, if you think it's funny and it works and it's funny enough and it doesn't derail the story, you can, you can get that. Awesome. Yeah. I'm fanboying. I was like, <laughs> I got to stop fanboying. Okay. So Evan, like what, uh, you're working on family guy now. We've survived a strike. Mm. Yeah. We survived a pandemic. We survived everyone fire your agents. Uh, I thought about becoming a mailman during. Yeah, the honestly, I drove by the post office and they had a hiring sign. I was like, "Well, I they make good money. Yeah, they work out and they're walking. Totally, the cabs seem. I could see you in that safari <laughs> mail hat. Totally. Yeah. So I was spiraling a bit. I was just like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I was, I was like, because I know the job is coming back, so it's not like the end of the world, but it also is like, well, when is it going to go? Yeah, because your money is just dropping. And I know. Nothing coming in. So I know. I know, I know, I know. Um, sure, you with your house are like thinking you're starting to see those mortgage payments. I I was very lucky in that. I mean, are you a dual member? Are you in the animation guild as well? I think I kind of am. I don't yeah, know. okay. I'm not They're sure. They're hip pocketing you. Um, I, I'm in the animation guild, and a week before the strike, I don't know who's looking out for me, but I got this job um, in the animation guild working for Illumination doing this program that they have where you come in and for 16 weeks or eight weeks, depending on how you do, um, you are like on call for them from anything from like script passes to marketing copy. Oh, it's great timing. It was amazing. (laughs) And so I felt very lucky to be doing that for 16 weeks of the strike. And so I managed to be pretty unscathed, but good for you, man. Thank you. Um, it's not the common story that I was hearing. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. And I don't know. Like, truly, you know, we got this email from the WGA 
the first week that said, hey, if you're a dual member in the Animation Guild and you got a contract that predates May 1st, you're welcome to keep working on it. And I was like, oh, my God. So I can support my family. Yes. That's fantastic. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, everyone is saying, like, oh, Hollywood's over. Like, you know, the streaming services are all, you know, they're eating each other alive. You know, Paramount's going to be sold for parts. Like, are you worried at all that, like uh, – I don't think Family Guy's going anywhere, but like, are you worried at all that like the tides are turning or the industry is going to look different? Or I don't know, just like, how are you feeling about everything right now? I don't really understand it, to be honest. I, I just see a lot of shifting and mergers, and I'm not sure what any of it really means. I'm sure it's probably people working to try to screw writers. That's <laughs> usually the, the way the wind blows. Yep. Um, and I don't understand that because we are a, normally a pretty nice group of people. Yeah. You know, yeah, and we're like giving you the stuff that allows you to make tons of money. Like that, th what I don't understand is, you know, in the last seven to ten years, I've probably said this before on this podcast. You go to a dinner party, or you, you run into someone at the supermarket, or you go have lunch with a buddy, and after you talk about how your kids and wife and you know health and the, the weather, the, the third question everyone asks you is, "What are you watching?" Mm -hmm. You know, and <laughs> there are a group of people that make the stuff that that we that the world watches. And in the past 10 to 12, 15 years, it, it has just become, whether it's Squid Games or Game of Thrones or Family Guy or South Park, whatever, mm. these are these beacons and pillars of culture. And I just can't believe that we don't really get any respect from creating these amazing things. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's sort of abuser-ish kind of behavior, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Where it's just like, don't let them, you know, feel like they are have anything good to offer here or else they could like, we could lose them or something. I don't know what it is, but it's manipulative and, um, and it works. <laughs> it does. It does work. So like, are you, are you working on anything else? Like any original stuff? Are you, do you have any interest in doing like features? Like if you had a magic wand, Evan, other than working on family guy, which is a magic wand yeah. job, um, is there anything else that you like want to do in, in the immediate future? Uh, well, I did write a book that's coming out in April. Uh, April 16th. Wow. Yes. The book is called Life Once You Did. And a calm, rational, and totally legit guide to scaring yourself <laughs> safe. <laughs> yes. Uh, essentially, this is a, um, it's a survival guide, hysterical survival guide written <laughs> <laughs> from the perspective of a very paranoid person who doesn't really understand the nature of threats. Thinks everything is a threat. And so, you know, just by living, you're putting yourself in danger. And the second you step out of your house, I mean, you're just being stupid by doing that. <laughs> you're putting yourself in harm's way by yeah. existing. Yeah. I mean, this was definitely uh, something that was cooked up during the pandemic when everybody's relationship with fear was just like totally skewed. Because I never felt like I was a very fearful person. But then the pandemic hits and you're just like, your anxiety is just You're spiking. washing groceries. Yeah. Yeah. I remember distinctly like running through like grocery stores like I'm doing a bank heist. Oh my God. Yeah. Rubber gloves. It's insane. Face mask, hoodie, and then yeah. showering when you get home because it was like the germs mm -hmm. are on me. Yeah. They've stuck to my shirt or whatever. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but at the time we weren't getting any like good information either. You know, we're in the middle of... Uh, an administration that is like lying to you is just a matter of course. So you're like, I don't know if any of this is true or not. And it just, I think everybody's relationship with fear just got all screwed up during that time. And I, mine definitely did. And so this book was sort of a, um, you know, just a examination of that. How did you st like, 
when you did you just like immediately one day go like oh my god I got an idea and start writing it and then you then shape it or like what's the process like did you have to do a, a book proposal what was the process like to selling the the book well this was a a case of my manager being just a great manager like this was beautiful managing who yeah. is this guy let's get a girl let's give the she's shouts. a woman women can be managers. I, <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. I meant woman. Did I say I say girl? My wife gets mad at me all the time. She's like, "I'm a woman, not a girl." Well, uh, this is uh, Lisa Mierke over at uh, Mosaic. Shouts to Lisa. I yeah. know her. She reps um, a couple people that we worked with on Fairfax. Yeah, Lisa's great, and also uh, Drew Shenfield uh, from Mosaic as well. And um, you know what happened was I'd been on Family Guy for about a year, and they said, you know, like you're you're in a pretty steady job now. You have a three year contract. You're good. Like, is there anything else you might want to do? And I said, you know, maybe a book. It was I had no ideas. I was just like, a book would be cool. I've always kind of wanted to do one of those. And um, they were like, all right, well, we're going to set you up with somebody to talk about a book idea. So just come up with something, and you know, we'll then we'll get this going. You know, they were kind of like turned it from like a vague mumbling of an idea into like you're on the hook. So think of something. And um, so then I started to think about what, you know emotionally what it should be about because it felt like you know if you have like an emotional core of something that people are resonating with then it's more likely that the comedy will like be stronger yeah and clearly it was all about fear at the moment you know fear was just like in the air you could like you were almost choking on it so i was like it should be about fear okay and then from that point i was like well what's the container for it in terms of like the book and um so i went to barnes and noble and i was just kind of walking through the aisles and and um I came across like a survival guide. It was like a survivalist, you know, <laughs> kind of a guide about somebody like living in the woods. And it's like this theory that everything is, of course, going to go to shit. And when it does, this is what you need to do. It wasn't even like, maybe it'll be okay. It was like, it's, it's definitely, definitely going to go yeah. bad. And you have to be ready because things are about to get crazy. And I was like, well, that's an interesting sort of mentality. It's just so heightened already. And I'm like, if you could pair that idea of this heightened person with somebody who really just doesn't understand what's going on, but it still is just as confident about giving advice. I was like, that seems funny. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so then I, yeah, I had to write a, a book proposal for that. What's a book proposal look like? Well, it has to have a bunch of elements. Like it has to have like a breakdown of all the chapters that are going to be in it and like what each chapter would contain. And obviously this all changes a lot when yeah. you start writing it, but then you have to actually write a sample chapter and you have to write a plan about how you would go about selling the book and, you know, if you, um, like, why you're the right person to write this thing and also, like, why is it relevant now? So it's just, like, sort of a rounding of, you know, material from the book and also how they could market this thing because you have to do a lot of that kind of stuff yourself. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, it was about 40 pages. Wow. It took a while. And did you have to pitch it to like everywhere? Like do your rep send it out? Like is it like a script submission? Like or was it just you basically meeting with people and describing and then being like, hey, like I'll send the proposal? Or they maybe they preemptively read the proposal before the meeting. Well, what they did is they hooked me up with a book agent. Oh, cool. Okay. I had to meet with a couple of different agents and they were like, you know, you need an agent to kind of help, you know, mold this into shape to uh take to the to to the publishers. And so I, you know, interviewed with a couple of people and it was interesting. There were some people who were like, oh, this is great. We love it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's nice to hear, but I'm like, I need notes. Like I need you to like, so this other agent that I got hooked up with uh, named uh, Justin Brookhart, 
he was like, yeah, I really like this. And here's some things you could do to make it better. And that's sort of what I wanted to hear. It was like, you can have somebody go kiss your ass and that's feels good, but it's like, it's not making the proposal any better. Yeah. And he was just like, here's some of the things that I would do to kind of improve it. And I was like, all right, I, I like this. And, um, so I hooked up with him and then we just reshaped the, the proposal for a couple months, just tightening it up, making it really strong. And, and also it had a lot of visual elements to it. Like the book has a bunch of illustrations in it. And, um, so my proposal did as well. So I had this illustrator who I got hooked up with from Clickhole, um, that, the website that was like an offshoot of the onion. Yeah. And so me and her were doing it together and so she was helping me mold it. And it, it's, it was like a much more complicated process because of the illustrated elements of it. Hmm. So, you know, it took, it took a while, but we felt like it was pretty tight by the end. And then you take it to like send it out to a bunch of publishers and that's when it like meets the actual market and you see if there's anything there. Did multiple, did multiple people want to engage with you and you just pick one or? Uh, this was a case where there were like three people who expressed some interest, but we only got one offer mm-hmm. from Chronicle, which is the one we ended up going with, obviously, because this is the only <laughs> one who, paid, who wanted to do it. Um, but, uh, and there had been like some pre-existing relationship with them before. They had seen some New Yorker pieces and one of the editors had reached out and said, you know, if you ever do a book, like make sure to, to talk to us. And, and so they were into it and they seemed like the perfect place for it, honestly. Yeah. Because their books are visually just gorgeous. Like they really take their time and they put that side of it together really nicely. And, and this book has a lot of that. So it was like, it felt like a, a very good pairing. Hell yeah. So I, it's the best thing I've ever written by far. Like it's not even close. Oh, I'm, I'm so very, excited very to read it. I'm, so, I'm really excited for people to, to see this. Tell us the name one more time so we get a double plug, Evan. <laughs> it's called Life Once You Did. And it comes out April 16th. April 16th, Life Wants You Dead, written by Evan Waite. <laughs> Evan, I want to thank you for coming up to Laurel Canyon to do this. I want to tell you truly face to face what a great writer you are because I feel like nobody tells us anything good other than like here notes and pass. <laughs> I really appreciate it, man. We're just sitting in our bunkers. Yeah, right? Cook something up. Totally. And uh, we can't wait to see what you keep doing. And, and please just keep keep doing what you're doing. And let's keep hanging out and talking, Evan, because we're excited to see where you go from here. Yeah. And thank you for hiring me on Fairfax. That oh, dude, best, it was man. easy. It was the, one of the best decisions we ever made. <laughs> it was so fun, man. Thank you. Thank you. Time. Thank you. Talk to you soon, Evan. All right.